Hello. Uh, you might not know me. My name's Tim. I've just recently joined the team here at Everyday. It's a privilege to be asked to speak uh, on the next passage of John that as a church we're looking at and walking through. And so we're up to John chapter 13. And uh, we're going to read about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So wherever you are, whoever you are, uh, I trust as you, we look at this that God would speak to you as he speaks to me and together we will learn, like those first disciples, what it means to have your feet washed by Jesus and to follow his example to one another. It says this, John chapter 13, 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Oh, Father, I just want to pray again. Uh, Jesus, we weren't in the room that day, yet we're so grateful that this account has been preserved for us. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that we'd each learn what you wanted those original disciples to learn and that we would do what you exampled and modelled to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the first lesson that Jesus had for his disciples in the evening of that last supper. 
And the lesson, I believe, was a straightforward and simple one. You know, there's a lot of detail, there's some fascinating dialogue in this passage, but we mustn't miss the main point of what Jesus was underlining. He washed the feet of his disciples. And then he told them quite plainly, now that I, your Lord and teacher, in verse 14 and 15, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You see, Jesus' disciples are called to serve one another. That was true of the disciples then, that's true of us, his disciples now. And if we're going to fulfill this, this grand calling of ours, then I think it's helpful to take a closer look at this passage. I'm going to look at two things. I'm going to look at Jesus' actions. What did Jesus do that day? And what can we learn from it about the type of serving that Jesus is looking for? But I'm also going to look at our motivations. What are the motivations that Jesus modelled for us on that day and instructed us to follow? So looking at the actions of Jesus, I've got four characteristics that help us understand the kind of serving that Jesus is looking for. Firstly, Jesus' act of service, I believe, was practical. Uh, my wife and I, Caroline and myself, we're, we're new to the Wimbledon area and already we've been enjoying such wonderful hospitality uh, as people extend their love and service to us and we've been going around to people's houses. And quite automatically, because it's what we do at home, it's kind of the norm for us, we take our shoes off as we enter someone's house, normally leaving them neatly by the front door. I guess for hygiene reasons, to be honest, but probably also just for comfort and that's what we're used to. Now, imagine I was around uh, someone's dining room table eating their lovely prepared food uh, in the middle of the meal, perhaps, that one of the hosts suddenly got up, uh, took their cardigan off, uh, ducked down under the table, took a flannel in their hands and started peeling our socks off. I mean, uh, it would be a bit weird for me. Uh, I'd have to be careful not to kind of knee-jerk and end up with my foot in their face by accident. Uh, so odd would it be. But imagine in some cultures, uh, maybe even in yours, that uh, this is quite normal. I guess in first century Middle Eastern cultures where the roads were unmade, where uh, the climate was hot, where the animals roamed freely, where the kind of sewage was dealt with maybe above ground, not over ground, and where people wore sandals, you can imagine this kind of custom was norm. This was typical etiquette uh, to have feet washed before you sat down at the dinner table. So Jesus' actions that day weren't as odd as many of us might think they were today, but, but rather they were extremely practical. And secondly, Jesus' act of service was extremely humble. See, it wasn't strange to the disciples then that they had their feet washed before the meal. What was strange to them, that it was Jesus who washed their feet. I mean, he was the VIP guest on that occasion, and he assumed the role typically fulfilled by the lowest slave or the servant of the households. This would have been shocking. This would have been inappropriate. This would have been quite demeaning for Jesus. And then you only have to multiply that, I don't know, by infinity when you realise this was God washing the feet of people. 
This was the eternal sustainer and creator of the universe who, who yes, had set aside his, his divine glory to come to earth as a human being. And then again, to, to set aside, to lay aside his outer clothing, as we're told, to wash the feet of his created, of sinful people. I mean, it's mind-blowing when you stop and think about it. And not only that, he, he, he was washing the feet of some of the lowest rungs of society, some of the most despised people of their day. There were fishermen. There was a tax collector, and he washed their feet. I think if you'd come into the room at that moment, you would have assumed that Jesus was the slave. I mean, he certainly looked like one, stripped down to his underwear with a towel wrapped round his, his waist. You would have assumed, yeah, he's the servant because he's doing the work of a servant. Washing 24 dirty, smelly feet. But this act of service of Jesus, it was not only practical, it was not only humble, it was also indiscriminate. I don't know about you, but I must admit, I find it easier to serve people who like me and get me. And that's not everyone, not even in the church. But Jesus showed none of that kind of favoritism on that day. He washed the feet of every one of his disciples. Just remember again who was there. There was Judas. We're told about him explicitly in this passage. Jesus knew by this point that Judas was going to betray him. He knew at this point that, that, that Judas really wasn't one of his people. He hadn't come to Christ in faith. Yet he washed his feet and he dried them. And then he got to Peter and we get wonderful dialogue with Peter. Peter so often misunderstood Jesus. And, and here's another occasion right here as the conversation between them really illustrates. Yet Jesus washed his feet. You know, we're called to serve like that. But also, Jesus, finally, he served with integrity. Let me explain what I mean. I don't know about you, but again, I find it easier to serve other people, even in the, the body of people, the church that God's placed me, when I'm feeling a bit upbeat, when I'm feeling good about myself and the world around me, when, when I'm not under stress, when I'm unhurried, then it's a bit easier to serve in those settings. But we've got to understand, at this moment, Jesus served. He was under intense time and, I believe, emotional pressure. He knew he had only hours to live. He's, he knew how much he still had to teach his disciples. The next five chapters of John uh, illustrate the fact that he had much to tell them in these final 24 hours. Yet, he chose to take the costly route, the time-consuming route of demonstrating his love, of serving each one. I mean, as I say, there were 24 feet there. How long does it take to clean one foot of someone else's, times that by 24, maybe even more feet in the room? Yet he did it. We're called to serve like him, practically, humbly, indiscriminately, and with integrity. That's going to involve us serving with actions, not words. That's going, to serve, that's going to mean we're going to have to come down a peg or two or three. 
that means we're going to have to serve people we struggle with. And even when we're dealing with our own stress at the same time. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. Uh, he goes to another church, so you, you won't know them. Uh, I won't use his name because I'd be a bit embarrassed if I, uh, if I kind of made a show of him here. But um, my friend, he'd been to New Day many times. Uh, New Day being in the UK here, uh, an annual summer youth camp, Christian youth camp for, for young people. He'd been a youth leader, he'd taken a team, he'd taken some young people year after year, maybe six, seven, eight years in a row. He hadn't done it for some time. I guess he would have felt maybe he'd done his bit. Uh, but this year, New Day came around again after three years uh, of pause following all the lockdowns and the COVID challenges. And uh, the youth team in his church, they needed one more adult to go because of the number of young people that wanted to go. And no one else was stepping forward. And the call had gone out. And eventually, yeah, my friend, he decided, yeah, I'll go. I'll go again. I'll come out of my self-imposed New Day retirement, if you like, and I'll serve to make this possible. And uh, he decided, because he was going anyway, he would sign up to one of the central serving teams, you know, for New Day as a whole. And he signed up for the cleaning team. And when he got there, he discovered uh, that he was going to lead this team. Oh, would you lead this team? Oh, okay. Uh, where's the team? Oh, well, it's you and two others. Oh, oh just a small team then. Yes, and uh, you need to clean all of the portable loos and showers across the site. I don't know how many there were, but enough for, say, I don't know, 7,000 people when all the adults and young people are added up. Imagine how many uses those uh, toilets and showers got, even if there was only a handful of them. And you've got to do it yeah, twice a day. To, to make them spick and span. And during the meetings, because all the young people and, the peop and others are going to be at the meetings, so they're not going to need the loo at that time. So he couldn't get to any of the meetings. And he served faithfully doing that. He embraced <laughs> the, the situation he found himself in. And uh, I know, well, I'm grateful because my daughter benefited. She was there. I know two of my nieces from other parts of the country were there. I know the youth group of my current church, my previous church, and my church before that were all there. So I was very grateful. And uh, it was wonderful to know my daughter even sent him a card of thanks when she found out it was him that was cleaning her toilet and shower. You know, we can be inspired, can't we, by great acts of service. Uh, friends like I have... Jesus ultimately washing his disciples' feet. And I'm sure you know folk in your church community who serve with that kind of heart. But it is the heart, isn't it, that Jesus is really looking at. We've looked and explored the, the actions. So we understand the kind of serving behaviours that Jesus modelled and is looking for from us. But, but, but really, he's, he's looking at the heart. He wants us to have a servant heart. So really what I want to spend my time on now is looking at the motivations that Jesus modelled and instructed his disciples to draw upon. Because it's possible, and I know, because I've done it many times, to, to look like you're serving well, but, but, but actually in your heart, there's a bit of a grumble. Uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a reluctance. There's, there's a bit of resentment. Why am I here early doing this menial task to, you know, before others have come to the meeting or other, other contexts? So I know it's possible, but I think if we look at the heart, if, if we allow God to mould our hearts, 
then not only will we serve well like him, but what serving we do 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 will be done with a heart that he's looking for. So let's look at those things. We're firstly, I believe, to serve one another out of sacrificial love. Looking at verse one, it gives us, I think, a subtitle, not just for this chapter of John, but for the subsequent chapters up to the cross and beyond. It says this in verse one, having loved his own who were in the world, talking about his disciples, he, that is Jesus, loved them to the end. See, Jesus loved his disciples. He loved them the three years they'd spent together. And he wanted to show them, demonstrate to them the full extent, the full magnitude of his love for them. And so what did he do? Well, he started by washing their feet. It came out of his desire to show them his love. It, it would ultimately pale in comparison to the demonstration 24 hours or so later when he died on the cross. But I think it's the same heart, the same essence that he showed here in washing their feet. It's fascinating that it was John who wrote this account for us. Uh, John, who, who had something of a unique close relationship with Jesus on earth. He described himself, didn't he, as the, uh, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He knew how loved he was. Uh, and he was often one of the three that were taken on some special missions or given special opportunities with Jesus. And it's interesting to see when you read John's little letters decades later into his old age, what his lifelong message was to brothers and sisters all around the world, to Christians throughout all the ages. And it's a simple message. He keeps banging it home in those little letters of his. Come on, we're to love one another. We're to love our brothers and sisters in the faith. I mean, just for an example, 1 John 3, he says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Then he gets intensely practical. If anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? He just doesn't understand. John can't get it. How can that be so? Well, it can't. Dear children, he says, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. I just wonder whether that moment when Jesus washed his feet left an indelible mark on his heart. <laughs> and it can happen to us as well. I think just getting practical about it as well, is, he's so earthy, isn't he, John, when it comes to it. And I know in the UK, at least at the moment, as we are entering a so-called cost of living crisis, it's important to get practical. We need to understand what each other's needs are. We need to, in our maybe life group settings, be open to where we're at with finances, with, with the cost of living, with the challenges we're going through of every nature and types. And then we need to respond to one another under God. Look, God, how do you want me to play my part in serving my brother and sister? But I'm convinced, you see, the more we experience God's love for ourselves, the more we will quite naturally, I think, serve one another with the same heart. But we're also to serve one another knowing who we are in Christ. I think this is about our identity, our destiny as well as believers. And throughout this passage, I don't know if you noticed, but John often uses the phrases, phrase, Jesus knew. Jesus knew some stuff. 
we're told in verse 1, in verse 3, verse 11. Jesus knew who he was at this point, at least, if not much earlier. Jesus knew where he'd come from. And he knew, ultimately, where he was going. Yes, it would go via the cross, but he knew and could see beyond the cross. John's really keen to emphasise that fact. Who knows how John knew, but anyway, he did. And it's there for us, for our benefit. Yet it's what Jesus did with that knowledge that really amazes me. I'm going to read out verse 3 and 4 to you in my NIV English translation. Really look out for that word that joins the two verses together. It's fascinating. Jesus knew, we're told, that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. That, that, that undoes me. That little word, so, in the middle of those sentences. You see, Jesus didn't wash his disciples' feet despite knowing all of those things, but because he knew those things. And I think it works the same for us. Knowing our identity and our destiny in Christ, I believe, will impact how and, uh, and when we serve. See, for Jesus, he knew that he was the all-powerful second person of the Trinity, destined to reign over all creation for eternity. Therefore, he served his disciples by washing their feet. I mean, it tells us something, does it not, about the heart of God. Now, I'm not the Son of God, quite clearly, with a capital S. But I do know that I am a son of God with a small s. That, that's who I am now in Christ because of his grace to me, not because of anything I've done or deserve. And the more convinced we are, the more confident we become in our position, our status, if you like, in Christ, I, I believe that like him, the lower we will stoop to serve one another. That's the mindset of Jesus that people like Paul is trying to encourage us to imitate in, for example, Philippians chapter 2, that great hymn of the early church. It says that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be used for his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing and took on the very nature of a servant. Yes, a servant who would wash our feet. A servant who would go to the cross. You know, the other day, maybe last week now, um, I had a wobble day. <laughs> have you had wobble days? I'm sure, sure you have. I was feeling on that day somewhat overwhelmed, for whatever reason. Uh, I was feeling somewhat underqualified for the things it would appear that God has asked me to step into. But God was so gracious that day. And in my Bible reading, I went to 1 John chapter 5. So some more of John's writings. And uh, God helped me to see how the truths in that chapter related to me. And I wrote this in my journal that day. I wrote, I am born of God. I am a child of God. I am an overcomer of the world. I have received eternal life. And the more I declared those things over me, if you like, or just to whoever, out loud at times, the more I prayed them, 
the, my faith rose, who I am in Christ. And I, and I went into that day, I think ready, more ready to serve than I had been only 24 hours beforehand. Thirdly, I think we're to serve one another in light of the cross. You see, the cross is our ultimate inspiration. Peter asked Jesus, Jesus, are you really going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. By later, of course, he's referring to the cross. For us, it's all in the past, so we can look back retrospectively. But his expectation was that the cross would inform the disciples' understanding of what Jesus was doing, washing their feet, and what therefore we're to do in washing one another's feet. You see, whatever we do, whatever act of service we might do for one another, in the light of the cross, really, is it a big deal? It, it, it pales, doesn't it, in comparison. And I imagine that it's lifelong students of the cross who become lifelong servants of the church. I think it just goes together. Now, I've had three points under this heading, and I'll be quite happy to stop here, but Jesus goes on. So for completion, I'm going to look at his final two motivations that he wants to emphasize. Fourthly, then, we serve under Christ's authority. You see, serving is also a discipleship issue. Now, Jesus had explained that uh, he'd given this example for them to follow, but then he goes on. Let me read verse 16. Very truly, I tell you, says Jesus, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I think Jesus is simply underlining the fact that in our relationship with him, he's still the master and we're the servants. I mean, he said that previously, you call me master and Lord, and that is right because that is who I am. And then he gives us this uh, statement as well, we're, we're his servants. He's our Lord, we're the disciples. And a couple of weeks ago on our Vision Sunday, we were reminded, weren't we, that discipleship is about apprenticeship. It's about learning to do what Jesus does. But it's also learning to do what Jesus commands us to do. Um, I see this dynamic really played out in Paul's life, for example. I love the way he sometimes describes himself with such confidence as, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus, uh, called by God. He, he's very assured of who he is and the gifts he has in Christ. But in the same breath, he often says, and I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. And you might think, Paul, have you got a bit of an identity crisis? Do you know who you really are? Are you hedging your bets? But no, I think he got both. And we need to get both. Yes, it's a paradox. Our, our identity in Christ is, is gloriously paradoxical. But, but we, it's both and. Yeah, we're, we're, we're children of the high God. Uh, yet we're also servants of Jesus. After all, he is the servant king. He, he displayed that, those twin elements in his own life. And we can do the same. So the more committed we are to following Jesus, the more committed I believe we will be in serving one another. And then lastly, I think we're to serve one another in expectation of blessing. You see, serving is to be motivated by reward. It says that, the last verse in this section, Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, Jesus is prov promising an in, uh, a, a 
blessing. He's providing an incentive for serving well. And as a church that emphasizes God's grace, we can be a bit nervous about this motivation. We, we can be a bit wary of it, but I don't think we need to be. Like, understand, you don't deserve this blessing. Even if you do serve well, you don't deserve it. This is another example of God's abundant grace, his abounding grace, his grace upon grace. There's another level and grade of grace in this area of being blessed for our serving. Now, we don't need to know, I think, what the blessing is necessarily to believe that it's there. I mean, it, it may just be that simple contentment of knowing you've done the things that God's made you to do and are called to do, redeemed to do. And that's, that's, that's joyous, just to do the things that are, fit those criteria. It may be the, the mutual benefit. I mean, I wash your feet, you wash my feet, she washes his feet. And, and we find in this culture of serving one another, we're all beneficiaries. Maybe that is part of the blessing. Maybe part of the blessing is knowing that joy that others looking on from the outside will see the, the quality of our community life and say, what, what is it with you? I want to be part of you. And then they, they discover who we're serving and who we've been affected by and they come and join us as disciples of Jesus. It may just simply be storing up treasures in heaven. Well, we'll wait and see for that. But as I wrap up now, uh, I just want to emphasize the fact that Yet servanthood is our calling and every aspect of our uh, Christian life really has to have this serving element. And I'm going to look at that in the devotional this week. But, but really, if we're going to serve well, we need to allow God to do something in our hearts. Yet the practical outworking of your servant, serving really is between you and God. It's hard for me to prescribe. There are all sorts of ways you could serve your brothers and sisters on rotors and informally, all sorts of ways. But, but really, we want God to mould us and to shape our hearts so that the serving we, 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 do, we do do is, is like his in motivation. And that our motivation, if it's like his, will result in service to one another that's genuine and true. So I'd encourage you uh, over the coming week to, to, to allow God to affect your heart. We'll serve like Jesus wants the more we experience his love. Open your lives. Ask for more revelation of his love. We will serve the more confident we are of who we are in Christ. Get those truths out of the word of God and into your heart. It will affect how you serve. We will serve well if we're inspired by the cross. We never graduate from understanding the cross. Keep studying. Keep asking for more revelation on the many faceted dimensions of God's grace expressed through the cross. It will affect how you serve. And of course, we'll serve the more committed we become to following Jesus, being his disciple and convinced of the future grace that he has for us. God bless you.